Book Three, Chapter Five, Part Three of the History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Two, by Henry Charles Lee. Book Three, Jurisdiction, Chapter Five, Part Three appeals to rome this was shown in the friction which continued throughout the long reign of philip the second who was no less earnest than his father in maintaining the independence of the inquisition although his attitude was more deferential in fifteen sixty eight we find him complaining to his ambassador juan de zuniga that appeals were made from sardinia to rome not only in cases of faith but in matters of confiscation and in civil cases concerning familiars and officials all of which was damaging to the inquisition and in derogation of the royal jurisdiction zuniga was therefore ordered to supplicate the pope to refuse admission to all such appeals while the viceroy of sardinia was instructed to prevent testimony from being taken in such cases this effort was fruitless as likewise was that of abbot brisenio sent in fifteen eighty a special commissioner on the subject to gregory the thirteenth to remonstrate with the utmost earnestness against the reception accorded in rome to fugitives from the inquisition soon after this a case occurred which strained the relations between the courts jean de berry a frenchman on trial by the tribunal of saragossa managed to escape to rome whereupon he was condemned in contumacy and burnt in effigy he presented himself to the congregation of the inquisition which admitted him to bail and he went to reside in orbiteo the case must have been the subject of active recrimination for juan de zuniga at that time viceroy of naples with superabundant zeal kidnapped him and despatched him to spain instantly the papal court was aflame zuniga was promptly excommunicated but the censure was suspended for four months to allow him to return the fugitive a rapture seemed imminent and zuniga conscious of his mistake on learning that the galeasses had been driven back to palermo sent thither in hot haste but his messenger was too late and jean de berry was carried to spain papal dispatches couched in vigorous languages were forthwith sent to the nuncio to philip to inquisitor-general quiroga and to the saragossa tribunal the nuncio being ordered to prosecute quiroga if the prisoner was not remanded philip had no alternative Quiroga, in a letter of September 12, 1582, to Gregory, announced Burns' departure, at the same time remonstrating against the asylum to fugitives offered by Rome. Berry was duly delivered to the Roman Inquisition, but there was probably a secret understanding, for, at a meeting of the congregation, June 13, 1583, presided over by Gregory, it was decreed that he should be placed in the hands of Quiroga, who should judge his case. Quiroga did nothing of the kind. He was sent to Saragossa, and the last we hear of him is a letter of the Suprema, August 3rd, to the tribunal ordering it to do justice, the customary formula for confirming a sentence. As usual, the curia abandoned those whom it had undertaken to protect. 
From 1582 to 1586, the nuncio, Taberna Bishop of Lodi, was largely occupied with the question of these appeals. It formed one of several grievances arising from the exercise of papal jurisdiction in Spain, a jurisdiction which was becoming an anachronism in the development of absolute monarchy, but, as the faculties of the Inquisition were solely a delegation from the Holy See, papal control of its operations was unassailable and had to be endured. Philip gained nothing by instructing his ambassador Olivares, November 10, 1583, that it was highly important to represent to the Pope that appeals should not be entertained but should be remitted back to the Inquisitor-General. We have seen how little ceremony was used by Sixtus V in 1585, when he evoked the case of the Jesuit provincial Marine and his colleagues, and how the Suprema was forced to submit. While Philip thus was unable to dispute the papal right of intervention, he had as little scruple as his predecessor in disregarding papal letters. In 1571, he ordered the surrender of all briefs evoking cases to the Holy See. Some years later, the Suprema instructed the Tribunal of Lima that, if apostolic letters were presented, it was to supplicate against them, that is, to suspend and disregard them, and this was doubtless a circular sent to all tribunals. They were practically treated as a nullity, and it is a singular fact that, after so long an experience, the curious still found purchasers credulous enough to seek protection in them. In a Toledo auto de fe of 1591, there appeared 24 Judaizers of Alcazar, detected by Inquisitor Alava during a visitation. Among them was Francisco de Vega, a scrivener who, on hearing that the Inquisitor was coming, had sent to Rome and procured absolutions for himself, his mother, and his sister, thinking to find safety in them. But they were treated with contempt, and all three culprits were reconciled with the same penalties as their companions. While thus the supreme jurisdiction of the Holy See was admitted and evaded, the Inquisition sought to create the belief that it had been abandoned. Zurita, who, as secretary of the Suprema, unquestionably knew better, makes such an assertion, and Paramo, whose experience as inquisitor in Sicily had taught him the truth, does not hesitate, in 1598, to say that, since Innocent VIII decreed that appeals should be heard by the inquisitor-general, no pope had permitted cases to be carried to the apostolic see. It is a fair example of the incurable habit of the Inquisition to assert its possession of whatever it desired to obtain. Under Philip III, the papal supremacy continued to be exercised and was submitted to as reluctantly as ever. In 1602, a Dr. Gozas, under prosecution by the Tribunal of Murcia, managed to escape to Rome and to have his case tried there. Philip labored strenuously and persistently to have him remanded, first through his ambassador, the Duke of Sessa, and then through the succeeding envoy, the Duke Pescalona, to whom, in April 1, 1604, he sent a special courier, urging him to renew his efforts, for every day the Roman Inquisition was intervening in what the popes had granted exclusively to the Inquisitor-General, thus threatening the total destruction of the Spanish Inquisition. 
in sixteen o three a portuguese appealed to the roman inquisition alleging that his wife was unjustly held in prison he obtained an order on the inquisitor-general to transmit the papers and meanwhile to suspend the case acevedo demurred eliciting from clement the eighth a still more peremptory command whereupon the documents were sent and while the case was under consideration in rome the woman was discharged it was preferable to let an assumed culprit go free than to allow the roman holy office to exercise jurisdiction the subserviency of philip the fourth to his inquisitors-general was even more marked and we have seen how vigorously he supported the inquisition in its extension of its jurisdiction over matters foreign to the faith leading the clergy of majorca to procure papal briefs exempting them from it in such cases the chapter of valencia was less fortunate and was exposed to the full force of the royal indignation in sixteen thirty seven inquisitor-general sotomayor had obtained the pension of nine hundred ducats on the archdeaconry of hativa and one of three hundred and forty ducats on a prebend vacated by the death of the canon villarasa the chapter refused payment sotomayor sued them in the tribunal and of course obtained a decision in his favour the aggrieved chapter revenged itself by seizing the customary courtesy of sending two canons to receive the inquisitors at the door of the cathedral on the occasion of publishing the edict this continued for two years and on the second the door of the great chapel was locked and the inquisitors had to await its opening for this disrespect they prosecuted the chapter which then appealed to rome on both suits and obtained briefs committing the cases to a special commission of the roman inquisition granting a faculty to relieve them from any excommunication and citing sotomayor to appear in rome the case was assuming a serious aspect and the suprema november thirty sixteen thirty seven presented to philip a consulta with letters for his signature addressed to his ambassador to the pope to the viceroy the archbishop and the chapter philip was in the full ardor of a contest with the pope over the jurisdiction of the nuncio and the roman condemnation of books supporting the royal prerogative he was not content with the measures proposed and returned the consulta with the comment that much more vigorous methods were required nor did it comport with the royal dignity to ask for what he could legally enforce he had therefore ordered the council of aragon to write to the chapter through the viceroy expressing his displeasure and his determination to resort to the most extreme steps letters were also to be written to the viceroy and the archbishop commanding the prosecution of the chapter in the banco real unless the briefs were forthwith surrendered the inquisition was not to appear in the matter but only the archbishop and a minister of justice was to be at hand when the demand was made so as to seize the briefs as soon as they were produced this violent program was duly carried out canon oñate the custodian of the briefs was forced to surrender them through the hands of the council of aragon they were passed to sotomayor and were carefully preserved as trophies in the archives of the suprema 
if this inspired in ecclesiastics the terror desired it did not influence defendants under trial who continued to appeal to rome for a carta acordada of august three fifteen thirty eight orders the tribunals when such cases occur to send reports not only to it but direct to the roman agent of the inquisition in order that no time should be lost by him in working for their withdrawal a few years later there followed the most bitter and stubborn conflict that had yet occurred between madrid and rome on the subject of appeals the case of jeronimo de villanueva which is so illustrative in various ways that it merits a somewhat detailed examination jeronimo de villanueva marquis of villalba belonged to an ancient family of aragon of which kingdom he was prothonotary or secretary of state while his brother agustin was justicia he won the favor of olivares as well as of philip and accumulated a plurality of offices rendering him at last one of the most important personages of the state for he became a member of the councils of aragon war cruzada and indies the camara of the council of indies secretary of state and of the despacho universal de la monarquia in sixteen twenty three there was founded in madrid with the object of restoring the relaxed benedictine discipline a convent under the name of la encarnacion bendita de san placido with funds furnished by villanueva and by the family of doña teresa de silva also called valle de la cerda who was elected abbess she had for some years been under the direction of rey francisco garcia calderon a benedictine of high reputation who was inclined to mysticism villanueva had an agreement with the superiors of the order giving him the appointment of spiritual directors and he naturally placed calderon in charge before the year was out one of the nuns became demoniacally possessed the contagiousness of the disorder is well known and soon twenty-two out of the thirty were similarly affected including teresa herself calderon was reckoned a skilful exorcist but he was baffled as was likewise the abbot of ripel who was called in at the suggestion of the latter the wild utterances of the demoniacs were written down and a mass accumulated of some six hundred pages for it was a current belief that demons were often compelled by god to utter truths concealed from man this largely took the shape of announcing that the convent would be the source of a reformation not only of the order but of the whole church eleven of the nuns were to be the apostles of a new dispensation one having the spirit of st peter another that of st paul and so forth while calderon represented christ they would go forth to redeem the world when urban the eighth should die he would be succeeded by cardinal borgia who would bestow the cardinalate on calderon then calderon would be pope for thirty-three years and villanueva who would be made a cardinal would have a share in the great work for three years this went on to the despair of the exorcists people began to suspect some underlying evil and fray alonso de leon who had been associated with calderon in the direction and had quarrelled with him denounced the affair to the inquisition in sixteen twenty eight calderon's prosecution was ordered he endeavoured to escape to france but was caught at Gerona and brought back to toledo for trial the nuns were all cast into the secret prison where it was not difficult to extort from their fears such evidence as was wanted 
calderon endured without confession three rigorous tortures but nevertheless he was condemned as an alumbrado guilty of teaching impeccability and the other heresies ascribed to illuminism april twenty seventh sixteen thirty he was sentenced to a living death in a cell of the convent designated to receive him Doña Teresa was relegated to a convent for four years, and the nuns were scattered in different houses. Apart from Illuminism, there were the consultation of demons and the prophecies of a renovation of the church through a new apostolate. The latter was qualified as a heresy, the former was a debatable point. The six censors appointed by the Suprema held that belief in prophecies made by demons was superstitious divination aggravated by the character of the prophecies and the practice of writing them out it was no excuse to say that the demon acted as the minister of god for this could be made to justify all heresies and even to believe the demon to be the minister of god was superstitious divination in all this villanueva was compromised his house adjoined the convent and he was much there especially at night after his official duties were over the conventual discipline became inevitably relaxed and in the subsequent proceedings it was in evidence that he had been seen sitting in teresa's lap while she cleaned his hair of insects he took much interest in the demonic prophecies especially those which foretold his importance in the church and he treasured a picture which was drawn of his guardian angel in which he was represented as a pillar sustaining the church he took part in interrogating the demons and writing what they said and he kept these writings in his house these appeared in the evidence taken in the trial of teresa and the nuns and according to inquisitorial practice the portions relating to him were extracted and submitted to censors who reported march twelfth sixteen thirty unfavorably he was an accomplice or if not he was at least a father of the heresies then other censors were called in and a junta was held march twentieth which reduced the finding to his being moderately suspect of having incurred the above censure there was evidently no desire to attack so influential a personage who was supported by the favor of olivares and the inquisition carried the matter no further but doubtless villanueva felt the danger of his position and possibly hints may have reached him of the evidence collected which might at any time be used for the furtherance of some court intrigue he seems to have hesitated long but finally on january seventh sixteen thirty two he presented a self-denunciation to fray antonio de sotomayor confessor of the king not as yet inquisitor-general but a member of the suprema in this he naturally extenuated matters he alleged his misplaced confidence in calderon and alonso de leon and professed that being unable to judge the import of it all he made the statement in order that the proper remedy might be applied six months elapsed without action but in july five different groups of censors were consulted whose opinions varied from holding him as an accomplice to declaring him guilty of no mortal sin july thirtieth the suprema considered the case and decided that there was no ground for prosecution one member however dissenting and voting for further consultation with competent theologians the majority opinion governed and on november twenty second a certificate was duly given to villanueva 
he might well congratulate himself on his escape and turn his attention to rehabilitating the unfortunate nuns of san placido it was well nigh an example that the inquisition should confess fallibility by revoking a judgment and to accomplish it demanded time and perseverance when all was ready on february five sixteen thirty eight fray gabriel de bustamente in the name of the benedictine order petitioned the suprema to revise the case and that the nuns be set free and restored to their honour this was referred to nine censors who reported april fourteenth that the nuns were innocent of anything rendering them amenable to the inquisition they had merely obeyed their spiritual director and what was guilty in him was innocent in them to save appearances however they added that if they had acted on the evidence laid before their predecessors their conclusions would have been identical the suprema delayed action until october second when it decided that the imprisonment of the nuns and their sentences should not affect their good name and repute or that of their kindred monastery or order they were thus rehabilitated the convent was reorganized and to erase from human memory all that had occurred in november an edict was published requiring under severe penalties the surrender of all relations and copies of the former sentence many of which were fabulous as though to secure the future of san placido a new building was commenced for it by villanueva in sixteen forty one the cornerstone of which was laid with much ceremony it was never safe to reckon upon the inquisition if it could reverse a condemnation it could reverse an acquittal especially as st pius v had decreed that no acquittal for heresy should be held to be res judicata and permanent whether pronounced by inquisitors bishops popes or even the council of trent for a while matters were quiescent villanueva was receiving fresh proofs of the royal favour october twenty seventh sixteen thirty nine philip gave him a seat in the council of war and on january sixteenth sixteen forty granted him additional graces in reward of services performed in aragon even the fall of his protector olivares in february sixteen forty three did not affect his position for his membership in the council of indies was bestowed in april twenty third of that year yet the disgrace of the chief favorite opened the way to many intrigues and especially to those directed against his return to power of which at one time there seemed much probability it would be impossible now to assert with absolute certainty what was the direct object sought for in villanueva's ruin but we may feel confident that in addition to the desire to divide his spoils a powerful motive was the wish to get possession of his papers in the hope of finding in them compromising material for use against olivares the first attack was skilfully directed against san placido and not against villanueva sotomayor the aged inquisitor-general was forced as we have seen to resign on june twenty sixteen forty three although he continued nominally in office until his successor arce y reynoso took possession november fourteenth arce had already been designated for the post and on july thirteenth a royal letter informed him that sotomayor had promised to subdelegate to him any cases that the king desired philip went on to say that the affair of san placido had never ceased to give him concern the truth had never been ascertained 
and as it concerned so greatly the catholic religion it required a searching and impartial investigation such as it would receive at ars's hands wherefore as soon as he received power from sotomayor he must undertake it in such wise as would give public satisfaction the commission from sotomayor followed the same day and comprehended not only the nuns but all persons concerned whether lay or clerical the letter was evidently drawn up by arce for the signature of philip who was but a tool in the hands of the intriguers with the existence of the monarchy imperiled by three wars at once and the affairs of state disorganized by the sudden removal of the minister who had managed them for twenty years it is absurd to suppose that he could spontaneously have given a thought to the concern of the little nunnery the settlement of which had been acquiesced in for five years or that he had the slightest inkling of what was to follow that this action was but a pretext is shown by the fact that although there were some proceedings taken against the nuns which for several years gave them anxiety they were allowed without protest to appeal to the pope who in sixteen forty eight committed the case to the bishop of avila after which it seems to have been dropped for in sixteen fifty one we find them in full enjoyment of their honour arce had evidently been preparing in advance for the attack on villanueva on july fifteenth sixteen forty three he acknowledged the royal commands which he was ready to obey on july twenty fourth the king sent him an order for all the papers in the case expressing confidence that he would act as expected from his zeal rectitude and prudence and only two days later july twenty sixth he wrote to the king that the case of one of the accomplices was ready for definite sentence but as it involved confirming or setting aside a judgment of the suprema he hesitated to take the responsibility he suggested various methods and invoked the angel of the kingdom to bring light from god to aid the king in solving so difficult a problem to this philip in total ignorance of what was on foot replied that he had placed the matter absolutely in arce's hands who then concluded to let it take the form of an ordinary trial matters were already so far advanced that although the papers amounted to the enormous bulk of seven thousand five hundred folios by august twenty seventh the fiscal already had his clamosa or indictment prepared and presented this displays the animus of the matter in being directed not against the nuns but exclusively against villanueva and the proceedings of sixteen thirty two which had acquitted him then on september eighteenth the fiscal asked for the examination of new witnesses and on january thirteenth sixteen forty four he demanded that the affair should be submitted to new censors he recapitulated the charges which we have seen that villanueva wrote down the utterances of the demons and kept them in his own house his inquiring into future events dependent upon human free will his belief in the demons after experiencing their mendacity his treasuring the picture of the angel etc there was nothing new in all this but at a time when the inquisition was daily trying and penancing old women for fortune-telling and divination and superstitious practices which were held to imply what was called a pact with the demon there was technical ground for villanueva's prosecution although not for the manner in which it was carried on the new censors were selected learned men we are told and eminent theologians many of them professors in toledo and alcala de henares 
a formidable array of twenty-one articles was submitted to them including not only villanueva's dealings with the demons of san placido but his subsequent dabbling in astrology through which he used to predict the result of campaigns the censors could not well hesitate in pronouncing him vehemently suspect in fate and some even held that those who had signed the exculpation of sixteen thirty two should be prosecuted all this was conducted with the inviolable secrecy of the inquisition both the king and the intended victim being kept in profound ignorance of what was on foot the opinions of the censors were furnished at various times up to may fifteen sixteen forty four then the suprema took three and a half months to consider them until philip was conveniently absent conducting the campaign in catalonia after much prayerful thought we are told and supplication to god a sentence of arrest was adopted august thirty first and executed the same day two inquisitors juan ortiz and calaya went to villanueva's house about two p m woke him from his siesta placed him in a coach and hurried him off to toledo where he was thrust into a narrow cell with a little cot and kept as usual strictly incommunicado six keys were found on him which he said covered papers belonging to the king he declined to give orders as to his own papers and we are informed that large quantities were found concerning san placido but there is discreet silence about other matters that same day and the next there came for him important dispatches from the king which had to be opened by his principal secretary arce at once wrote to philip announcing the arrest and assuring him that the case would be prosecuted with the utmost desire for the greater service of god philip's reply is the most abject expression of weakness the mere assumption that the faith is concerned seems to paralyze his intellect and deprive him of all power of self-assertion he was completely taken by surprise and expressed his astonishment at such action without consulting him or the queen villanueva was a minister in two tribunals and also secretary of state having in his hands papers of the utmost consequence to the kingdom there was no risk of his flight nor would philip have interfered had it been his own son wherefore it was a matter for prior consultation as it is done however he can only order the suprema to act with the sole object of the service of god and exaltation of the holy catholic faith which are his chief desire and the only purpose of its existence arce answered this september twenty first in a tone almost contemptuous the inviolable secrecy of the inquisition required that no one but the king should be informed of the commencement of the trial of one of the accomplices in the case of the nuns of san placido which was revived by his command as to the queen the arrest was made between one and two o'clock which was an hour inconvenient for intrusion on her this would appear sufficient as to giving notice to the king and queen besides the disadvantage of delay and the risks of correspondence promptitude was essential and the king's holy zeal always desires that there should be no delay in the affairs of god and the holy faith when the king returns he can give orders about the papers which are under lock and key these were all the reasons that arce deigned to give his sovereign for increasing the confusion of the terrible time by suddenly imprisoning a principal minister of state for the furtherance of a court intrigue the arrest of course created much excitement the council of state promptly presented the consulta 
which arce in his letter to the king characterized as very remarkable and it was followed by similar appeals from the other councils of which villanueva was a member war indies aragon and cruzada the kingdom of aragon remonstrated with the king in a memorial setting forth the long and faithful services of villanueva his sudden imprisonment without allowing time to settle official and personal affairs and the infamy cast upon all his kindred in view of the nature of the charges and his character it would have sufficed to assign as a prison his house or a convent as was frequently done with those of much lower rank the kingdom begged for the sake of a family which had so long served it that while his case was pending he might be restored to his home under sufficient guard and that he might have the benefit of the royal clemency and justice temperate as was this appeal it aroused arce's wrath and he expressed to philip a doubt whether it could be genuine it being so extraordinary and amounting to fathership for which the parties should be prosecuted although the inquisition had not yet done so appeals to philip's humanity were in vain although he was speedily recalled to madrid by the illness of the queen who died october ninth he made no remonstrance against the unnecessary cruelty shown to villanueva who was left in his cell cut off from the world in september he fell seriously ill and was allowed to have a servant a youth of his chamber much attached to him who was not allowed to leave the cell until the trial was concluded the case followed the ordinary routine the only new matter introduced being a little book found in his desk setting forth fortunate and unfortunate days for him as deduced from the letters of his name over these the censors differed two of them pronouncing it innocent while five held it to be included in the prohibitions of the ars notoria as a tacit pact with the demon villanueva in his defence pleaded his former acquittal and there was a learned discussion between his advocate and the fiscal as to the applicability to the case of the bull in their multiplices which defined that in heresy there could never be a final decision in favour of the accused philip urged this patch on the tribunal but it proceeded with a customary exasperating deliberation after eighteen months had passed when philip was holding the cortes of saragossa the deputies presented in january eighteen sixteen forty six an appeal in the name of the kingdom expressing entire confidence in villanueva's innocence and urging that the period be put to the cruel suspense by the early conclusion of the trial this was as fruitless as all previous efforts had been it was not until he had passed two dreary years in his cell that a vote was taken in the case august three sixteen forty six there was general agreement that his sentence with full details of his offences should be read in the audience chamber and not in a public auto de fe that he should be severely reprimanded and be forbidden to occupy the house which he had built alongside of the convent but there was discordia as to the number of persons to be present as to whether or not he should be required to abjure the levy for light suspicion of heresy and as to banishing him and there were some who voted for fining and suspending him from office for two years evidently at the worst there was no serious culpability proven and there were probably few courtiers of philip the fourth against whom superstitions as grave could not have been alleged in the estilo of the inquisition when there was discordia in the consulta de fe the case was referred to the suprema which thus became the judge 
September 1st, Villanueva accused one of the members, Antonio de Aragon, and the recusation was admitted after a hearing. Finally, on February 7, 1647, the Suprema pronounced sentence. There were to be present in the audience chamber four ecclesiastics, four frailes, and four laymen. Villanueva was to be severely reprimanded and warned. He was to abjure the levy, be prohibited from communicating with the nuns or living in the adjoining house, and be banished for three years from Toledo and Madrid and from twenty leagues around them. This sentence may not appear severe, but to understand the rest of the story, it must be borne in mind that to be penanced by the Inquisition and be required to abjure for even light suspicion of heresy inflicted an ineffaceable stigma not only on the culprit but on his kindred and posterity the whole race was involved in infamy and no temporal punishment however severe could be so disastrous in its effect upon the honour of a noble family as the blot on its limpieza or purity of blood resulting from such a sentence the extreme length to which this was carried will be considered hereafter at present it suffices to point out that while villanueva's worldly career was ruined already and his wanton incarceration in the secret prisons had been a severe infliction on him and his kindred there had still been hope that this might yet be at least partially effaced by an acquittal penance and abjuration destroyed his hope and to the spanish noble no effort was too great to avert so crushing a misfortune the nature of the sentence must have leaked out for before its publication by the tribunal of toledo to which it was sent the brother and sister of villanueva agustin da justicia and ana now abbess of san placido with luis de torres as proctor of jeronimo presented an appeal from it to the pope and a recusation of arce y reynoso and of others of the judges the appeal was not admitted and they were told that the inquisition did not listen to kindred in matters of faith then on march eighteenth Torres, in the name of Jeronimo, presented to the tribunal of Toledo a recusation of all the inquisitors and fiscals of Spain as being dependents of the inquisitor-general. It was all in vain. On March 23rd, Villanueva was brought into the audience chamber to hear the sentence, but he acted in a manner so disorderly and made such outcries that the publication was suspended, a thing, we are told, unexampled in the history of the Inquisition and the presiding inquisitor ordered the alcaide to take that man back to his cell he recused every one who had acted as judge and appealed to the pope to the king and to any other competent judge end of book three chapter five part three recording by shenna sayre fresno california